Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here with us, whether you're in person or uh, watching at home online. Let's go ahead and sing together. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore upon his hand, bearing all the guilt of sinful man. God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus Savior, risen now to reign. Behold our God, seated on his throne, Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Behold, <clears throat> behold, oh, sorry. <laughs> you will reign forever. You will reign forever. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore Him. Amen. Well, again, we want to welcome you and thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, continue our worship now with a time of prayer to uh, prepare our hearts and minds for this morning. Uh, bow with me, please. God, you are on the throne forever, and as we enter into an awareness of your presence here with us, 
we pray uh, that our hearts would be opened, our minds would be open, that we would sing holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty. And God, that you would uh, help us in this time to be encouraged, to be invigorated, to be lifted up, so that we might be sent out this week to be lights in our community, in our workplaces, in our homes. Be with us this morning, Lord, and may we uh, acknowledge your presence. May we be transformed by your presence. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to just say briefly uh, a reminder or maybe some instructions for those of you who have maybe not used our little communion cups. They can be a little persnickety. So here's a quick little pro tip um, for later on in our service when you share in communion. There's a little tab here that has two different seals. If you push that tab down and kind of break it, it separates the two seals so that you can easily peel off the top one for the bread and then the bottom one for the juice later. And then when you're done taking communion today, if you'll just put it back in the back and then on your way out there are trash cans on either side. And if you can just remember to to throw that away, that would be very helpful to us. So just in case you've never used those before, hopefully that will be helpful to you. All right, let's continue uh, in a time of worship together. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Lord, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love. As we sing, holy, 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 I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, Lord, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 holy. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. 
Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. I want to see you. This will be our our song before the scripture reading and lesson. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You're my friend, and you are my brother, even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. You alone are my strength. My shield to you alone, may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. I want you more than gold. Or silver only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 19, 1 through 4, using the NIV Bible. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, may God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. I got the microphone figured out. I also trimmed up my beard with the intention of not uh, 
having that rustling sound, and, and I think my wife prefers my beard short, so uh, two birds with one stone. This morning, we are continuing a series that we started last week called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Sunday School, and we're kind of going back to the basics. Last week, we talked about the idea that Jesus loves me, but that he also loves the children of the world, the, the people who are not me. And so uh, we, we kind of dwelled on this idea of love and asked the question, what do we do with that? And the answer is, we apply it to every situation of our lives. If Jesus loves me and he loves everyone else, how do I then reflect that to other people? We saw that everyone in the New Testament, all of the writers in the New Testament, embrace this idea that we are called to love one another as Jesus has loved us. I think that that's a really powerful and profound thought for us, that we embrace the idea of love not just in the church context, but in the context of our everyday life. And this week, uh, I'm, I'm moving to another story that I learned in Sunday school. And if you grew up in the church, I, I can almost guarantee that you learned this story in Sunday school. And so uh, this morning, we're going to sing a song again. Uh, just like we did last week, this song is a really fun Sunday school song. I had fun putting together my little flannel graph figures for this. Uh, and you can see the wee little man up in the tree. If you haven't guessed yet, we're going to sing the song Zacchaeus. And so I'm going to invite you to sing along with me uh, this morning as we sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, for the Lord he wanted to see. For the Lord he wanted to see. And... As the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Simple song, really straightforward, very difficult to forget. I don't know what it is. It's not it's not a particularly good melody or anything like that, but man, it sticks in your head. The the theme of the song, and the fact that you get to wag your finger at Zacchaeus, that was always my favorite thing as a kid in Sunday school. You know, watching the teacher, this was usually reserved for me and my misbehavior, but now Jesus was wagging his finger at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you come down. And I always kind of had it in my head that that meant that to some extent Jesus was scolding Zacchaeus. Like this was a story about, you know, Jesus was coming to call this guy to repentance and really just dig into him and you know uh, whatever whatever happened after this story clearly Zacchaeus was going to learn a lesson and I'll tell you this Zacchaeus does learn a lesson but in reflecting on this story as an adult there's there's a lot more to it than Jesus wagging his finger at Zacchaeus and telling him what he'd done wrong so I want to go ahead and I want to read the story this morning together uh, through the eyes of adult readers um it's found in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, and it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, he being Jesus in this case. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was of small stature, small in stature. 
I always, I think one of the reasons that this, this, you know, is one of those Sunday school stories that kids relate to well is because they can imagine what it's like to be small. Uh, you know, having a crowd come around and like really wanting to be on their dad's shoulders. When, uh, when we've gone to Disneyland in the past with my family, I, the thing I remember most vividly is not, in fact, the experience of being there, but the backache that I have afterwards from carrying Emma on my shoulders for like the parades and the fireworks and things like that. After the end of the day, you know, walking 25 billion steps with your child on your shoulders, you definitely reach that point. But that perspective of wanting to get just a little higher so that you can see what it is that you really want to see. Kids kind of have that. Right now, Micah is uh, about a half an inch shorter than his mom. And it's this exciting moment in his life where he knows he's not going to be the shortest person. Well, he hasn't been the shortest person in our house in a long time, but he's going to pass the shortest adult in his life, other than his grandma. Anyway, he's passing the shortest adult he has regular interaction with because Lorenda is not a particularly tall person. Lorenda especially relates to this song of Zacchaeus, and she's not here this morning to tell me that that's not okay to tell everybody. She relates to this short stature situation. I love you, by the way. Uh, She's watching at home. So here's the deal. Zacchaeus wants to be involved. He's excited that Jesus is coming. But he feels on the outside. And the story has given us several reasons that that might be the case. The first is that he's a tax collector. Uh, if you've got an older version of the Bible, it might say that he's a publican, uh, which was a term that just meant that he was responsible not just for taxes, but also for tolls. That if you were coming into the city and you had goods, you would be charged a toll. If you were leaving the city and you had goods, you would be charged a toll. That if you had uh, any amount of wealth that had been gained or earned in, in the process of being in the city, you would be taxed. And sometimes they tax you coming in and going out. And some of us know how that feels. You know, it, it, I feel like after I've been taxed, I just don't have anything left. He's on the outside because a lot of people don't like him. Because he's aligned himself with with the Roman government to tax his own people. Tax collectors at this time were very much on the outside of Jewish society. And to be born a Jew and raised a Jew and to practice the customs and rituals of your people, to be raised with the belief that you had in, in Yahweh, even if you distanced yourself from your faith to be removed from your tradition and your heritage. It was, a, it was a distancing experience. So he's on the outside because he's a tax collector. He's on the outside because he's wealthy, which, you know, the word rich is really reserved for people of enormous wealth in scripture. Uh, When we read stories about rich men and the wealth that they have, we're not talking about like they've got, you know, a comfortable lifestyle. We're talking about having years worth of salary to be able to hand off to a servant to do whatever it is that they want to have done with it. When we read the parable of the talents, we sometimes forget that the amounts that those individuals are given, in, in one case, it is an entire lifetime's worth of salary. Rich people in the standards of scripture, were enormously wealthy. 
And that creates a pretty big rift between them and the average person. And so he's on the outside because he's wealthy, and we're thinking, oh, boo-hoo, poor Zacchaeus, he's so rich that he's on the outside. He has no one to be his, his friend. There is no one who likes him. He doesn't have a peer. He doesn't have a, a connection to his own people. He is on the outside. And then to top it all off, he's, he's short. He can't even see over the crowd. The story wants us to empathize with Zacchaeus. In fact, it's, it's really interesting. If you go through the scriptures, if you look at the gospels, in general, we're meant to feel sorry for those who have, by the world's standards, uh, not a lot for us to feel sorry for them about. Now, now, let me be clear. They also want us to feel as though, you know, the, the, those who are downcast and on the outside, even in our world today, need our empathy and our sympathy. But oftentimes, people who have in our mind, no right to bemoan their situation are cast as pitiable. And Zacchaeus is one of those people. We might look at it and say, well, he's got his life all together. He's got so much money that people don't even like him. He's that rich. I wish that people didn't like me because of the amount of money I had. That would be fantastic. That's kind of our thought process. It's a sad and lonely existence for Zacchaeus. That's how we enter the context of this story. And no one thinks to say, hey, Zacchaeus, you're the short guy. Come over to the front of the line so you can actually see this guy as he comes through because there's no one there who wants him around. He has to take matters into his own hand and go climb up into a tree in an undignified manner. I don't know if you've ever seen like the, the flannel graphs that I saw, but he's wearing like his, his robe because every man wore like a full-on robed garment and he's like awkwardly perched in the tree trying not to fall down. The flannel graph I remember as a kid just looked like this is a precarious situation. He's going to fall and break his neck. He's in a weird state of affairs. He's uncomfortable. He's vulnerable. And then Jesus enters the story. And I want us to, I want us to really consider what it is that happens in the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. So he ran on ahead, climbed up in the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Jesus is about to pass that way. And this is the interaction. When Jesus came to the place, he looked and said to him, not, hey, you, not, what, what's your name? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, being the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus, to some extent, puts his own reputation on the line to associate with Zacchaeus. He's putting himself in harm's way for this unliked, uncared for, unconnected man. And he says, I must stay at your house today. Now, keep in mind, uh, there were a lot of people that were 
innkeepers, uh, individuals that had spare rooms in their home that as travelers would come through, you could stay in their home. You'd pay a small amount of money and be able to uh, live in that place for the brief period of time that you were passing through. We're never told that Jesus stays at an inn with the exception of his birth. Uh, It's kind of an interesting story. Maybe the whole, like, you know, go sleep in the the room out back uh, was a turnoff from hotels in general. Jesus didn't have Expedia to book a place to stay. And so Jesus comes into this town, and he calls this man by name as though they are good, close friends. Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. See, when when I travel, I like to stay with people that I know if I have the option. Otherwise, I have to go and find a hotel room, and then I, I don't have the opportunity to visit with anybody, especially if I'm traveling alone. It can be kind of a lonely situation. And so Jesus does somewhat similar. As he goes from town to town, he often stays with people he knows. We're not told that Jesus has any prior relationship with Zacchaeus. But he calls him by name. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. And we might think that that sounds presumptuous, but it would actually be an honor to have a traveling rabbi, a man of great renown like Jesus is by Luke chapter 19, to invite himself to come and stay in your home. In fact, that's why when we see that Jesus dines with sinners and tax collectors throughout scripture, people get really upset with him. They're like, no, you're honoring the wrong people. You're supposed to be honoring me. The Pharisees get so upset with Jesus because he's honoring the wrong people by enjoying their hospitality. Now, it's association. Yeah, you know, you don't don't want to corrupt your good name by spending time with the wrong sort of people. There's a little bit of that warning, like, hey, Jesus, if you spend time with these sinners and tax collectors, you might corrupt your reputation. But even more than that, Jesus, you're honoring the wrong people. Get out of his house. Come stay at mine. That's a little bit of what's going on here. The story uh, continues on. And the direction that it ends up going, I think, is, is a pretty powerful one. Because it's not the way that most of us think about... Um, it's not the way that most of us think about a dinner party going. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold... The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Let's stop there for just a second. So, um, tax collectors were hated. We talked about that a little bit. Let me tell you a little bit of why. So there was the expectation that every citizen of the Roman Empire was to be taxed in a particular way. To a particular extent, there were rules and regulations And those rules and regulations were absolutely followed, and then some. See, the tax collectors were allowed to collect more than they were required to collect, and that was how they were supposed to make their living. Now, the expectation was that an honest tax collector would only collect just a small amount more from each individual so that he could then sustain his his own house. But the common practice of individuals like Zacchaeus and, in fact, also Matthew, were, uh, it was to tax people to such an extent that they would not just be able to survive, but that they would become wealthy on the additional tax that they collected. And they would be able to then go invest that money in other ventures. 
and they would get greatly wealthy to the extent that they would then rise economically to the point of a typical uh, Roman citizen. And then as they hit that Roman citizen level, they would then go beyond it to wealthy Roman citizen. And if they were wealthy enough, they might then potentially create for themselves a little bit of a dynasty, and their children might have a place within Roman society, and they might be able to then hold some kind of office or be given position or even serve in the military in such a way that they could then also rise beyond their station. Zacchaeus is one of those kind of tax collectors, not taking just enough to be able to survive for himself and to be able to have a comfortable lifestyle, but a lifestyle that aspired to something. A lifestyle that aspired to greatness for himself. And that's why so many tax collectors were reviled. But here, after years of shrewd management of the finances that he had taken from others, he commits to give it back. I will give the half of my goods, half of everything I own to the poor, And if I have cheated anyone, if I have defrauded them, if I have taken more than I was supposed to, I will repay it with interest. And not just a little bit of interest. What does he say? Fourfold. I am going to make things right, even if it bankrupts me. That's essentially what Zacchaeus is telling us here. I will give everything and then some to make things right. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. I don't know about you, but this story seems to miss a chapter. Like there's there's supposed to be something in between these verses. Uh, You know, it feels like we get to the conclusion before we've even had the climax of the story. What did Jesus say to him? What convinced Zacchaeus to change so greatly overnight? Jesus tells us, you know, here at the very end of the the story, he gives us these words. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that's the conclusion of the story of Zacchaeus. We don't read about him again in Scripture. We're left with this kind of hanging moment. I don't know about you, but I find, it, I find the story satisfying in that Zacchaeus repents. He changes. He becomes someone else. But sometimes I find it difficult when the story just seems to resolve without giving us the reason why. And so I read this. I, I had committed to doing this series like back in August, I think, as, as Kyle and I were talking about what the fall was going to look like. And I was like, yeah, Zacchaeus, that's a great story to tell. And, and then as I was reading it, I'm like, hold on a second, there's something missing here. And I had convinced myself that I'd misread it. And I read it over and over and over and over again, kind of like banging my head against the wall. I even had reached the point where I convinced myself that Kyle was preaching this one next week and that I was going to preach this little light of mine this week. And I was excited about it. I'm like, ah, it's Kyle's problem, not mine. But then as I read it again, I came to the realization there is nothing missing from this story. Let me, let me walk you through the steps. 
Zacchaeus is excited about finding Jesus, getting to know who he is. That's actually, it, it says that he wanted to know who Jesus was. Zacchaeus goes to great lengths to discover who Jesus is. And he finds him. Not only does he find him, but Jesus finds Zacchaeus. Jesus engages Zacchaeus. He treats him in a way that no other person would have dared to treat this man. And from the moment that Jesus calls him by name, something begins to change in him. He scrambles down the tree excitedly, takes him back to his house, and there in the middle of the meal stands to make this proclamation about how his life has changed. And it doesn't really matter what happened in between. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. We're going to go to the black and white here for a second. Why was Zacchaeus so excited to see Jesus? What had he heard about him? I want to ask you that question because, you know, sometimes we, we see that individuals are excited to meet Jesus and we're like, of course, he's Jesus. Why wouldn't he be excited to meet him? Forgetting that Jesus didn't have 2,000 years worth of uh, hype built up around him, not to call all the belief about Jesus hype, but Jesus was new on the scene in a lot of ways. He was only partway through his three-year ministry, and Zacchaeus is excited about him. Not like he's meeting the returning Savior who's been away for 2,000 years, but excited. What had he heard? And then I started looking back. I, I was flipping backwards through the pages of the Gospel of Luke, and I came to this particular uh, passage in chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And you can hear like in their head, ooh, boo, hiss, the tax collectors, ah, they're bad. Of course, he's talking to a group of Pharisees, people who are self-righteous. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, and now the Pharisees are, yeah, all right, Jesus, let's hear that awesome Pharisee prayer. This is going to be fantastic. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, who is standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The story of Zacchaeus is essentially, in many ways, the playing out of these last couple verses. Zacchaeus doesn't even presume to come near Jesus. He wants to see him, but he knows he probably doesn't belong there. I'm not going to try and push my way to the front of the line. I'm going to go to the back. I'm going to climb up the tree. 
and just try and catch a glimpse of what's going on. I think Zacchaeus, maybe I'm guessing here, maybe I'm, I'm reading into it too much, but it seems awfully coincidental that at the very beginning of, of chapter 9, we have a story about a tax collector seeking Jesus just shortly after reading Luke's account of Jesus' parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Do you think maybe Zacchaeus had heard Jesus teaching that even the tax collectors had a place? That even tax collectors could approach God? And that in fact, perhaps in their broken, disconnected, sinful state, they might actually be better equipped to approach God. What had Zacchaeus heard? I I wonder if maybe that is exactly it. Is it possible that this rabbi, this, this man who is wandering around the countryside performing miracles, healing lepers, giving sight back to the blind, is it possible that he's teaching that there's hope for me? What was Zacchaeus hoping for? Was it for Jesus to call him by name? Or was it just to have it confirmed? Maybe I'll hear his teaching from a distance. And what I think I've heard, I'll actually have heard. I don't think there was any hope in Zacchaeus' mind that Jesus was going to point to him up in the tree, call him by name, and honor him by entering into his home. But that's exactly what Jesus did. I have one last question for us this morning. What happened in private? What goes on behind the closed door of Zacchaeus' home that prompts him to stand up? There's a reason it's not recorded. See, this is the question I struggled with so much. What in the world did Jesus say to him to convince him to change his life? And I don't think that matters. It wasn't something Jesus said. It was who Jesus was. Zacchaeus has an encounter with the Savior. And instead of hearing condemnation, instead of hearing his life torn down, instead of being told all the ways in which he had failed, which he's probably heard about a million times before anyway, he's embraced as a friend. He's loved. And he's called by name. I think all of us need that. If I'm being honest, I I think I need that. I think that's what I find beautiful about Jesus is not not the fact that he, you know, uh, did all these miraculous things. That's wonderful, and it's a testament to his divine nature. But that in the same way, Jesus wanted to be near Zacchaeus. Jesus wants to be near me. He has honored me by coming into my house. I don't know if you know what I'm getting at there, but I want you to think about John chapter 1 when we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
he built his residence with humanity. Despite all the sinners that we happen to be. You know, the, the only other question I had even thought about putting on the slides here was this question. You know, they say, he goes and he dines with sinners. And as I read that question, or that, that statement, I thought, is there anyone else he possibly could dine with? Among all of humanity, was there any other option than to dine with sinners? Yeah, Zacchaeus may have some particularly uh, uh, atrocious sins in the views of other people, but anyone he had sat at a table with was technically unworthy, but honored to have the presence of God with them. So I leave you with this thought this morning. Jesus approaches Zacchaeus not with judgment, not with a list of his sins, not with a recounting of the things he had done wrong, not with uh, a condemnation for his past behavior, but with patience, love, calling him by name, inviting him into a relationship that hadn't existed before treating him as a friend. We, as the followers of Jesus, are called to do the same with those that we encounter in our day-to-day lives. And there are a lot of people out there that we could point at and say, that guy is a sinner. That lady, I know her sordid past. I know her reputation. I know all the things she's done wrong. You know what Jesus does too, and Jesus invites her into his presence as a friend. This week, I want to encourage each one of us to learn from the story of Zacchaeus that there is no other option but to become the friend of sinners. That was Jesus' solution to the problem of our eternal damnation, was to befriend us, to invite us, invite himself, into our presence. Show that kind of love to the people you encounter this week. Love others the way that Jesus loves Zacchaeus. This is a challenging story that we teach to the little ones. It's challenging because on its surface level, it is so simple and straightforward. Yeah, if you encounter Jesus, your life is going to be changed. But you know what? It doesn't just stop there. If you encounter Jesus, your life is going to be changed, and it won't matter who you were before you encountered him. And sometimes we struggle personally with this. So we should extend that grace to others, but then we should also extend that grace to ourselves because I know a lot of Christians that live their lives carrying around the burden of sin from the life before they came to Christ, beating themselves up with it. And you know what Jesus says through this story to Zacchaeus? Give it all away. Whatever it is that has caused you to be distant from me in the past, give it all away. I don't, I don't know that that's what Jesus told him in private. I think this is a commitment that Zacchaeus came up with in his own mind. How can I show how honored I am to be in the presence of the Savior? Give it all away. This week, 
love others the way that Jesus loves Zacchaeus. And if you're carrying around a burden of sin in your life, give it all away. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are unworthy to be in your presence. And sometimes we struggle just to lift our eyes up and look to heaven. And yet you have called us by name. You have come to dwell among us. And you have asked us to give it all away. We are humbled and honored to be your people and to be known by you. We pray this morning that you help us to extend the kind of love that you have shown us, that you have shown Zacchaeus, that you have shown Matthew, that you have shown John, that you have shown to every child that has come to believe in you, that we can extend that love to others not allowing the sins that we know about and the ones that we don't to keep us from ministering to them and loving them well. And that if we, if we can do even half of what you have done for us, and that we will be uh, beginning to love in the way that you love. Thank you for that love. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you have a need of the church, if there is some way that we can bless you, encourage you, pray for you, equip you for ministry to the world around you, we want to invite you this morning uh, to let us know about that. I'll be at the back of the auditorium if you have uh, a prayer need, if you, if you want someone to just pray with you privately, or if you want us to pray as a congregation today. In any case, we want to encourage you to respond. And maybe you don't respond this morning, maybe you respond tomorrow in the way that you treat your neighbors or in the way that you give up the things that are burdening you. But we ask you to respond in some way this week. Let's stand and sing. I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above. Trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arm. I'm living by faith. And feel no alarm. Though tempests may blow and the storm clouds arise, obscuring the brightness of life, I'm never alarmed at the overcast skies. The master looks on at the strife, living by faith in Jesus above. Trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arms, 
I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Our Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. Our troubles will then all be o'er. The Master so gently will lead us away beyond that blessed heavenly shore. Living by faith. In Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no Go ahead and be seated. This will be the song before we share in communion with one another. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ my living hope who could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning. 
that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. Good morning. So the passage that Chris was using this morning about the uh, story of Zacchaeus, one that uh, we've obviously been familiar with for a long, long time, uh, those of us who grew up going to Sunday school. The last verse in that passage, though, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. So this is the Son of God who is in a human body, flesh and blood. A fleshly body, physical body, physical blood. So this Son of Man, on the night he was betrayed, instituted the Lord's Supper. Now we refer often at this time to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, they gave accounts of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. But also Paul um, in 2 Corinthians also talks about the night Jesus was betrayed. And he says in uh, chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and so on. So he took the bread, he took the cup, he blessed it, and he said, Take these emblems in remembrance of me. Very simple thing to do. So it's sometimes maybe it's a little hard getting back to the basics, um, co really comprehending what a really deep spiritual moment this is. 
So I'd kind of like us to consider what Paul has to say prior to this passage um, to kind of give some clarity as to what we're really doing here. So if you go back a few verses from when he talks about I what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. In two verses, he makes reference to the fact that when you do this, you do it when you come together. He says in, in uh, verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together, and then again in verse 20, he also again says, when you come together. And I guess I should also add that in verse 18, when you come together as a church. So prior to that, in the previous chapter, chapter 10, he gives more clarity to what it was he was talking about when he referred to when the Son of Man instituted the Lord's Supper on the night he was betrayed. Chapter 10, starting at verse 14, or uh, excuse me, verse 16, he says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Now, some of the other translations uh, refer to what here it says, the cup of thanksgiving. Some will recall it the, uh, the cup of blessing. So whether it's a cup of blessing or a cup of thanksgiving, you can decide for yourselves which translation you prefer, but it's obviously a very good thing. If we take the uh, words that he says, when you come together and apply those to the, this, these, these two verses here, when you come together as a church, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And when you come together, when we come together as a church, is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. So keeping in mind that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit would be with us forever. So as we're sharing or participating here together today we have confidence in the fact because we know that Jesus kept all his promises. The Holy Spirit, he is with us in spirit today. And that's what makes this participation sharing time where we are together, we're also with Jesus, with God. So that's, that's 
what I believe makes this more than just a mere eating the bread and drinking the cup. It's this deep spiritual moment that we have together with each other and with Jesus with, and with God. So I'm not qualified to tell anybody how you handle this as an individual, how you participate. Uh, but I would like us to just ponder or consider how we get into the real mature depth of this moment that we have together every first day of the week, together and with God. Let's pray for the bread. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this moment that we have together on this first day of the week, the opportunity that we have to um, remember Jesus as a man in the, in the fleshly body with blood, fleshly physical blood. And we thank you, Father, also now for this, pro this opportunity that we have to participate together in the, uh, his spiritual body, the church. We thank you, Father, that uh, he came and he paid the price for us and he made all things possible and for all the blessings that we enjoy through him. It's in his name. Let's pray for the cup. Our Father in heaven, we are also thankful for this cup of thanksgiving, this cup of blessing, and for this, again, for this opportunity that we have to be here together in your presence, knowing that you are here with us. We thank you, Father, for the blood that was shed for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that was poured out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. also remind you that if you'd like to give this morning, you can do so online through your bank or you can drop a check off through the mail slot or you can slide it under Norma's office door as well. Before we close, let's sing one more song together. <clears throat> and my, my hope is that this song will be something that 
kind of sends us out. That's what I always try to do whenever I pick the last song. It's something that should be sending us. Um, and so I, this is my prayer for all of us, that we would be people who desire for the Spirit of God to dwell in us and through us. So let's sing together. <clears throat> Let your Spirit come fall upon me now. Let your Spirit come fall upon me now. And let the rains fall down, pour upon my soul. Come and wash me now, come and make me whole. Let your spirit come, fall upon me Let your spirit come, fall upon me now, and let the rain fall down, pour upon my soul, come and wash me now, come and make me Let your spirit come. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning, whether online or whether um, here. Uh, we do have two announcements, and then we're going to close in a prayer. And I think there are slides for this announcement. Yes. Drive Boo is coming up. You know, this is a season for new beginnings. We're doing new things we've never done before. And Drive Boo is going to be one of them. Uh, we do reach out to the community this way, and it is a good ministry, actually. This year, though, because of COVID, what we're going to do is we're going to decorate our cars and then have them in the back lot, and then people with little kids or big kids can drive through and see the decorated cars. And if you want to be a person in the car with a costume on, that will work too. That would be even better and wave to the kids. Instead of having a parade where they sit and we come, we sit and they come. So uh, please, if you can, we are in big time need of people to donate their uh, decorated cars. And they don't have to be extensive decoration. Uh, so see Lorinda or talk to Cal, or uh, talk to Chris, if you can help with that. Uh, we're going to be gone, I think, Nancy and I, but Kyle told me this morning that we can decorate a car and leave it back there. And uh, so we might do something like that if we are gone. So talk to Kyle and Lorinda about that. We'd like to see this uh, become a really good outreach to the community and also to the kids in our congregation and the families in our congregation. Uh, the next announcement, I think we have a slide for too. Yes, uh, talk about a season for a new beginning. As a church, we really need to keep growing and connecting with each other and in spreading the gospel. Zacchaeus needed a small group. <laughs> That's why he was up in that tree. 
And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you need a small group. We're going to your house and have it at your house. And I'm going to be there with you. Man, if that doesn't set up a small group announcement, I don't know what does. Uh, We plan to restart our small groups in two weeks, November 1st. Now, groups can be in your home up to 10 people and try to stay six feet apart or wear a mask. But, you know, in our house, we can have a pretty big group with six feet apart um, or wear, wear masks. Or it can be online via Zoom or any platform you want. And if you need training in that, we'll help you learn to do that. It can be a combination of the two, a group in my house plus people all over the world if you want. Uh, It can be here in the church building with social distancing and masks coming and going. Uh, And you'll need to register with uh, the office so that you have a room to do that in. So any one of those three that work. Uh, A small group can be based on the sermon. When I hear a lesson like this, I always say, I like to sit and talk about it with somebody. And Nancy gets tired of hearing me, just her. Uh, So after these sermons, we'll have notes, we'll have questions, we'll have further scriptures to look at and uh, to help lead a discussion. It can also be a topic that you choose. And let us know what topic you'd like, and we'll help you get material if you need help with that. It can be activity-related where you get together and do something you like to do and you have a scripture and a prayer and you do it in Jesus' name to honor him. Anything from, in the past we've had everything from quilting to chess to you name it. Your group can meet as often as you want it to. It can meet every day, twice a day if you want. It can meet weekly. It can meet twice a month. It can meet once a month. It can meet wherever you wish. Starbucks, uh, the park, the prayer labyrinth here at the building. Uh, But be thinking and be praying about what kind of small group you'd like to be a part of. And the whole idea is to get two or more Christians, people together, and do it in Jesus' name to honor him. You will grow. You will come down out of your tree, and Jesus will bless you if you do that. No, we need everyone to pray for our small groups, everyone to think of how you can get involved. And when you form a small group with another person, let the church know where it is, either via email or text or call. In addition to that general idea, we are looking specifically for people who can help target a small group towards parents of teenagers where they can get together and share how Jesus wants them to parent their teenagers. We'd also like another group on parents of toddlers, parents of little kids. What do you do when your kid does this kind of thing? And again, we can help you get some information on that or some resources. We'd also like a small group on seniors. And there are special needs that seniors have. And if you said, boy, I'd like to head that one up, I'd like to, or at least be part of that, be a co-teacher, we don't want anyone to go it alone. The idea is to have a partner that helps you uh, with this group. If you have any questions, see Chris or I. Oh, uh, we should have a small group for tax collectors, probably. (laughs) Or for people like me who uh, fit well in sports cars and can play shortstop, but can't dunk. (laughs) 
So after that lesson today, we need those small groups. Uh, but again, if you have any questions, contact Chris or I. Also, we have a small group support and planning team. If you, boy, I'd really like to be part of that. Uh, let Chris and I, or I know. We've already met and we're going to keep meeting so that we can support you when you start your small group. Uh, the th only third thing I want to bring up real quick is thank you, everyone, for following the guidelines so well. As soon as I walked in the auditorium, I broke one of them this morning. I didn't mean to, but I just did. Uh, so thank you. As long as we follow these guidelines that the state's put out there, uh, we can continue to meet like this, and we plan to do that. Uh, and this will be a changing process, an evolving process. Let's close with a prayer. Let's go to God in prayer together. Lord God, we are grateful. It is a blessing to have you for our God, a God who will come down on earth, uh, who will walk by a tree and call out to somebody by name and say, yeah, I want to go to your house today. I want to spend time with you. And thank you that you want to spend time with us. Help us to spend time with you. Help us to learn to love like Jesus loved. Lord, we have a, a request this morning to pray for Ron Boy. Please be with Ron and Sue. Uh, Ron's sister uh, passed away this morning, and she'd uh, had a rare form of cancer, and please be with that family. Uh, we have a lot of people in our midst who are struggling and we pray that you'll bless them bless them physically bless them emotionally bless them spiritually when we know we have you we can get through anything and when we know what you have planned for us we can handle it anything but help us see the best way to handle them uh, again, help us be merciful to us sinners. Thank you for coming and being willing to invite us to our homes with you and help us to love like Jesus. It's in his name that we offer this prayer. Amen. And now for those of you who are here, uh, someone will come and will dismiss us uh, by rows out the front or out this side. Uh, Whichever side they just miss your team.